Hello and welcome back to the iCrack podcast series with your host, Professor Noel Sharkey. And in this episode, we continue our CCW interviews with Nihal Bhutta, an international law professor at the European University Institute in beautiful and inspirational Florence. Or Forenzi if you're Italian, of course. Nihal specialises in humanitarian and human rights law, and he's been around the block a few times. He's worked in courts and universities in Australia, the United States and Canada before moving to Italy. He was the Arthur C. Helton Fellow at Human Rights Watch and co-led a field trip to Iraq to interview hundreds of Iraqis. So he certainly has the credentials to be one of the invited experts to the CCW this year. At last year's CCW, it wouldn't be unfair to say that we had a somewhat biased group of international lawyers. They took the perspective that if a weapon cannot comply with international humanitarian law, then it will not be used. Now I can understand that it's important for lawyers to believe in the authority of the law and to try to prevent unnecessary additions to them. Of course. But you know, sometimes it is really necessary. The laws of war can be quite ambiguous or just not specified in enough detail and that opens them to interpretation by smart state lawyers. History has shown us how new forms of warfare like aerial bombardment or submarine attacks that once violated the laws became fully accepted when enough powerful nations found that they gave them a military advantage. It can become a case of use them or lose them. This is why I think we need an internationally legally binding instrument to make it clear that fully autonomous weapon systems are prohibited, full stop, then there's no ambiguity, no messing around. Now I'm drifting a bit here from what I talked to Nihal about, but we did probe these issues and you can tell that I don't like to miss the opportunity for a little bit of preaching here and there. So on with the interview. I pulled Nihal out of the big room where he was about to talk and interviewed him in the corridor. It's a bit noisy, but I think you can hear it clearly enough. I started out by asking him, what are his main concerns about fully autonomous weapon systems? The weapons raise all sorts of uh, questions, uh, I think. Uh, At present, it's not clear whether we're legally we we can um, reliably delegate uh, critical functions of a weapon such as target acquisition and weapons release uh, to some sort of autonomous platform. I think the, the critical question is um, whether once we delegate those kinds of functions we have enough reliability, enough predictability in the exercise of those functions to ensure compliance with international humanitarian law and I think that's an extremely that's an era of great uncertainty. And would you say that there might be problems with international humanitarian law? Because a lot of international humanitarian lawyers, and it's something that lawyers will do, want to protect the law and keep it as it is. Do you think there might be a case for new laws? Well, I'm not sure that there's the case for new laws, but it, it may well be the case that uh, existing law it cannot be complied with. So, in other words, the weapons might be... Uh, effectively illegal unless we have certain guarantees about how they function. Uh, I think a lot of humanitarian lawyers have taken the view that if the weapons are capable of meeting the requirements of distinction, proportionality and precaution, 
then that can be assessed at, at the stage of a weapons review under Article 36 of uh, Additional Protocol 1. Uh, and that should be uh, the point at which we can judge their legality. But uh, I think that's formally correct. But the difficulty with that is, in a sense, what we're really doing at that point is evaluating the safety of a system from a technical point of view. The law contains no standards about how to evaluate the safety of a system. Uh, these are technical standards uh, of which there is real no, no real consensus at the international level. And so I think beneath the surface, the deep risk is that we have no sense as about how states developing these weapons will formulate and evaluate the necessary technical standards to judge their level of compliance. And I think that's really a cause for concern. I think there's a very good point. What would you see, uh, would there be some added value in having an international treaty prohibiting the use, production and development of the weapons? Well, I think based on uh, what was said at the meeting yesterday, I think there is a strong consensus around the idea that something called meaningful, meaningful human control is necessary in relation to uh, targeting and weapons release. But of course, we don't really know what that means. Uh, my intuition is that uh, given the problems such as automation bias, and given the likelihood that once autonomous platforms proliferate, uh, you will have uh, a greater and greater supervisory responsibility devolving to individuals for multiple platforms, in practice, the concept of meaningful human control will be very hard to realize in a way that sustains the responsibility of the individual. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Yes. Um, so all of this is to say that if we're serious about meaningful human control as a way of preserving the integrity of legal responsibility and therefore uh, the morality and uh, I suppose the ethicality of the weapon, right, the idea that someone in the end, some human being must be held responsible, someone's judgment must matter, uh, then uh, it's difficult uh, to know how we could rec really reconcile that uh, with sort of autonomous platforms operating in large numbers uh, uh, with, with relatively few personnel supervising them. So that may well mean that um, even if we don't have a ban, right, stipulating our concept of human control and the purpose that we wanted to serve in the law may well amount to a very high threshold. So how would you see would be the next step? Because this is our second expert meeting. So I think it's critical now to move forward on areas of, of relative convergence and consensus. As I said, I think meaningful human control is definitely an area of convergence, and this should be an area where we're formulating uh, the legal content of this term. Uh, I think we can, we can give some sense to its ethical and moral parameters, but, the, but if the idea is this should serve as a touchstone for for the future of autonomous weapons, and I think we need to develop some set of legal standards, which which we think approximates this uh, idea. Uh, the next, the other step too is is even even if we accept the idea that certain critical functions will never be delegated, we're still going to have a great deal of autonomization. It seems to me, and in my remarks today, I'm going to show an example of a call for tenders from DARPA. Uh, where they maintain that there's appropriate levels of human judgment, while at the same time calling for research proposals that, that develop a greater autonomization of multiple drones at the same time under one operator. Mm. So this is a kind of creeping autonomization that we'll see, which may still fall within the concept of human control, but I think obviously raises all sorts of nonetheless similar questions about unpredictability, uncertainty, uh, unreliability. Um, especially if more and more of these platforms are developed and proliferate. So I think even if we accept a, a high standard of human control, we also want to, I think, develop a parallel set of uh, initiatives which, which focus on 
developing some sort of international consensus, some sort of expert consensus on appropriate technical standards for autonomization uh, so that states don't have a free hand in deciding the level of risk that they're willing to take. That was a really interesting interview. I think in particular it was important to look at that gap between the law and its realisability in the real world. As Nihal pointed out, the law contains no standards about how to evaluate weapons. And as I said in the introduction, what lawyers said last year at the CCW was that if a weapon does not comply with the laws of war, it will not be used. But then as Nihal again pointed out, we have no sense of what methods states developing these weapons will have for judging their levels of compliance. Surely that's a fatal flaw. There's no transparency in state weapon reviews. And so do we only find out that a weapon is illegal after it's been used and innocent people have died? Ah, the madness. In the next episode of this podcast series, we'll be turning the lens onto issues that are often not discussed at the CCW. That's the human rights aspects of these weapons. We have Rasha Abdul Rahim from Amnesty International telling us about some of the problems that autonomous weapons are likely to bring to the civilian world. And she'll also be talking a little about Amnesty's new report, Autonomous Weapons Systems, Five Key Human Rights Issues for Consideration. We'll also have Dr. Steve Wright on the episode. He's ICRAC's expert on so-called less-than-lethal weapons. He'll be telling us about some of the risks that are often overlooked when the weapons are discussed. You can find other episodes of the iCrack podcast series at iCrackPodcast.wordpress.com. So until next time, it's goodbye for now. I'll be speaking to you soon, and I hope you'll be listening.